February 12th through 18th of Morning and Evening Daily Readings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Simon Wainwright. Morning and Evening. Daily Readings by Charles Spurgeon. Morning, February 12th. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. There is a blessed proportion. The ruler of providence bears a pair of scales. In this side he puts his people's trials, and in that he puts their consolations. When the scale of trial is nearly empty, you will always find the scale of consolation in nearly the same condition, and when the scale of trials is full, you will find the scale of consolation just as heavy. When the black clouds gather most, the light is the more brightly revealed to us. When the night lowers, and the tempest is coming on, the heavenly captain is always closest to his crew. It is a blessed thing that when we are most cast down, then it is that we are most lifted up by the consolations of the Spirit. One reason is because trials make more room for consolation. Great hearts can only be made by great troubles. The spade of trouble digs the reservoir of comfort deeper and makes more room for consolation. God comes into our heart. He finds it full. He begins to break our comforts and to make it empty. Then there is more room for grace. The humbler a man lies, the more comfort he will always have, because he will be more fitted to receive it. Another reason why we are often most happy in our troubles is this. Then we have the closest dealings with God. When the barn is full, man can live without God. When the purse is bursting with gold, we try to do without so much prayer. But once, take our gourds away, and we want our God. Once, cleanse the idols out of the house, then we are compelled to honor Jehovah. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. There is no cry so good as that which comes from the bottom of the mountains. No prayer half so hearty as that which comes up from the depths of the soul through deep trials and afflictions. Hence they bring us to God, and we are happier, for nearness to God is happiness. Come, troubled believer, 
fret not over your heavy troubles, for they are the heralds of weighty mercies. Evening, February 12th. He shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. John chapter 14 verse 16. The great father revealed himself to believers of old before the coming of his son, and was known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the God Almighty. Then Jesus came, and the ever-blessed son in his own proper person was the delight of his people's eyes. At the time of the Redeemer's ascension, the Holy Spirit became the head of the present dispensation, and his power was gloriously manifested in and after Pentecost. He remains at this hour the present Emmanuel, God with us, dwelling in and with his people, quickening, guiding, and ruling in their midst. Is his presence recognized as it ought to be? We cannot control his working. He is most sovereign in all his operations. But are we sufficiently anxious to obtain his help, or sufficiently watchful, lest we provoke him to withdraw his aid? Without him we can do nothing, but by his almighty energy the most extraordinary results can be produced. Everything depends upon his manifesting or concealing his power. Do we always look up to him both for our inner life and our outward service with the respectful dependence which is fitting. Do we not too often run before his call and act independently of his aid? Let us humble ourselves this evening for past neglects, and now entreat the heavenly dew to rest upon us, the sacred oil to anoint us, the celestial flame to burn within us. The Holy Ghost is no temporary gift. He abides with the saints. We have but to seek him aright, and he will be found of us. He is jealous, but he is pitiful. If he leaves in anger, he returns in mercy. Condescending and tender, he does not weary of us, but awaits to be gracious still. Sin has been hammering my heart unto a hardness void of love. Let supplying grace to cross his art drop from above. Morning, February 13th. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because 
it knew him not beloved now are we the sons of god first john chapter three verses one and two behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us consider who we were and what we feel ourselves to be even now when corruption is powerful in us and you will wonder at our adoption yet we are called the sons of god what a high relationship is that of a son and what privileges it brings what care and tenderness the son expects from his father and what love the father feels towards the son but all that and more than that we now have through christ as for the temporary drawback of suffering with the elder brother this we accept as an honor therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not we are content to be unknown with him in his humiliation for we are to be exalted with him beloved now are we the sons of god this is easy to read but it is not so easy to feel how is it in your heart this morning are you in the lowest depths of sorrow does corruption rise within your spirit and grace seem like a poor spark trampled under foot does your faith almost fail you fear not it is neither your graces nor feelings on which you are to live you must live simply by faith on christ with all these things against us now in the very depths of our sorrow wherever we may be now as much in the valley as on the mountain beloved now are we the sons of god but ah you say see how i am arrayed my graces are not bright my righteousness does not shine with apparent glory but read the next it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him the holy spirit shall purify our minds and divine power shall refine our bodies then shall we see him as he is evening february thirteenth there is therefore now no condemnation romans chapter eight verse one come my soul think thou of this believing in jesus thou art actually and effectually cleared from guilt thou art led out of thy prison thou art no more in fetters as a bond-slave thou art delivered now from the bondage of the law thou art freed from sin and canst walk at large as a free man thy saviour's blood has procured thy full discharge thou hast a right now to approach thy father's throne 
No flames of vengeance are there to scare thee now, no fiery sword. Justice cannot smite the innocent. Thy disabilities are taken away. Thou wast once unable to see thy father's face. Thou canst see it now. Thou couldst not speak with him, but now thou hast access with boldness. Once there was a fear of hell upon thee, but thou hast no fear of it now, for how can there be punishment for the guiltless? He who believeth is not condemned, and cannot be punished. And more than all, the privileges thou mightest have enjoyed, if thou hadst never sinned, are thine now, that thou art justified. All the blessings which thou wouldst have had, if thou hadst kept the law and more, are thine, because Christ has kept it for thee. All the love and the acceptance which perfect obedience could have obtained of God belong to thee, because Christ was perfectly obedient on thy behalf, and hath imputed all his merits to thy account, that thou mightest be exceeding rich through him who for thy sake became exceeding poor oh how great the debt of love and gratitude thou owest to thy saviour a debtor of mercy alone of covenant mercy i sing nor fear with thy righteousness on my person and offerings to bring the terrors of law and of god with me can have nothing to do my saviour's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view morning february fourteenth and his allowance was a continual allowance given him of the king a daily rate for every day all the days of his life second kings chapter twenty five verse thirty jehoiachin was not sent away from the king's palace with a store to last him for months but his provision was given him as a daily pension herein he well pictures the happy position of all the lord's people a daily portion is all that a man really wants we do not need tomorrow's supplies that day has not yet dawned and its wants are as yet unborn the thirst which we may suffer in the month of june does not need to be quenched in february for we do not feel it yet if we have enough for each day as the days arrive we shall never know want sufficient for the day is all that we can enjoy we cannot eat or drink or wear more than the day's supply of food and raiment the surplus gives us the care of storing it and the anxiety of watching against a thief one staff aids a traveller 
but a bundle of staves is a heavy burden. Enough is not only as good as a feast, but is all that the greatest glutton can truly enjoy. This is all we should expect. A craving for more than this is ungrateful. When our Father does not give us more, we should be content with his daily allowance. Jehoachin's case is ours. We have a sure portion, a portion given us of the king, a gracious portion, and a perpetual portion. Here is surely ground for thankfulness. Beloved Christian reader, in matters of grace, you need a daily supply. You have no store of strength. Day by day must you seek help from above. It is a very sweet assurance that a daily portion is provided for you. In the word, through the ministry, by meditation, in prayer, and waiting upon God, you shall receive renewed strength. In Jesus, all needful things are laid up for you. Then enjoy your continual allowance. Never go hungry, while the daily bread of grace is on the table of mercy. Evening, February 14th. She was healed immediately. Luke chapter 8, verse 47. One of the most touching and teaching of the Savior's miracles is before us tonight. The woman was very ignorant. She imagined that virtue came out of Christ by a law of necessity, without his knowledge or direct will. Moreover, she was a stranger to the generosity of Jesus' character, or she would not have gone behind to steal the cure which he was so ready to bestow. Misery should always place itself right in the face of mercy. Had she known the love of Jesus' heart, she would have said, I have but to put myself where he can see me. His omniscience will teach him my case, and his love at once will work my cure. We admire her faith, but we marvel at her ignorance. After she had obtained the cure, she rejoiced with trembling. Glad was she that the divine virtue had wrought a marvel in her, but she feared lest Christ should retract the blessing and put a negative upon the grant of his grace. Little did she comprehend the fullness of his love. We have not so clear a view of him as we could wish. We know not the heights and depths of his love, but we know of a surety that he is too good to withdraw from a trembling soul the gift which it has been able to obtain. But here is the marvel of it. Little as was her knowledge, her faith, because it was real faith, saved her and saved her at once. There was no tedious delay. Faith's miracle was instantaneous. 
if we have faith as a grain of mustard seed salvation is our present and eternal possession if in the list of the lord's children we are written as the feeblest of the family yet being heirs through faith no power human or devilish can eject us from salvation if we dare not lean our heads upon his bosom with john yet if we can venture in the press behind him and touch the hem of his garment we are made whole courage timid one thy faith hath saved thee go in peace being justified by faith we have peace with god morning february fifteenth to him be glory both now and for ever second peter chapter three verse eighteen heaven will be full of the ceaseless praises of jesus eternity thine unnumbered years shall speed their everlasting course but for ever and for ever to him be glory is he not a priest for ever after the order of melchizedek to him be glory is he not king for ever king of kings and lord of lords the everlasting father to him be glory for ever never shall his praises cease that which was bought with blood deserves to last while immortality endures the glory of the cross must never be eclipsed the lustre of the grave and of the resurrection must never be dimmed o jesus thou shalt be praised for ever long as immortal spirits live long as the father's throne endures for ever for ever unto thee shall be glory believer you are anticipating the time when you shall join the saints above in ascribing all glory to jesus but are you glorifying him now the apostle's words are to him be glory both now and for ever will you not this day make it your prayer lord help me to glorify thee i am poor help me to glorify thee by contentment i am sick help me to give thee honor by patience i have talents help me to extol thee by spending them for thee i have time lord help me to redeem it that i may serve thee i have a heart to feel lord let that heart feel no love but thine and glow with no flame but affection for thee i have a head to think lord help me to think of thee and for thee thou hast put me in this world for something lord show me what that is and help me to work out my life purpose i cannot do much but as the widow put in her two mites which were all her living so lord i cast my time and 
eternity too into thy treasury i am all thine take me and enable me to glorify thee now in all that i say in all that i do and with all that i have evening february fifteenth whereby they have made thee glad psalm forty five verse eight and who are thus privileged to make the saviour glad his church his people but is it possible he makes us glad but how can we make him glad by our love ah we think it so cold so faint and so indeed we must sorrowfully confess it to be but it is very sweet to christ hear his own eulogy of that love in the golden canticle how fair is thy love my sister my spouse how much better is thy love than wine see loving heart how he delights in you when you lean your head on his bosom you not only receive but you give him joy when you gaze with love upon his all-glorious face you not only obtain comfort but impart delight our praise too gives him joy not the song of the lips alone but the melody of the heart's deep gratitude our gifts too are very pleasant to him he loves to see us lay our time our talents our substance upon the altar not for the value of what we give but for the sake of the motive from which the gift springs to him the lowly offerings of his saints are more acceptable than the thousands of gold and silver holiness is like frankincense and myrrh to him forgive your enemy and you make christ glad distribute your substance to the poor and he rejoices be the means of saving souls and you give him to see of the travail of his soul proclaim his gospel and you are a sweet savour unto him go among the ignorant and lift up the cross and you have given him honor it is in your power even now to break the alabaster box and pour the precious oil of joy upon his head as did the woman of old whose memorial is to this day set forth wherever the gospel is preached will you be backward then will you not perfume your beloved lord with myrrh and aloes and cassia of your heart's praise yes ye ivory palaces ye shall hear the songs of the saints morning february sixteenth i have learned in whatever state i am therewith to be content philippians chapter four verse eleven 
These words show us that contentment is not a natural propensity of man. Ill weeds grow apace, covetousness, discontent, and murmuring are as natural to man as thorns are to the soil. We need not sow thistles and brambles. They come up naturally enough because they are indigenous to earth. And so we need not teach men to complain. They complain fast enough without any education. But the precious things of the earth must be cultivated. If we would have wheat, we must plough and sow. If we want flowers, there must be the garden, and all the gardeners care. Now, contentment is one of the flowers of heaven, and if we would have it, it must be cultivated. It will not grow in us by nature. It is the new nature alone that can produce it. And even then, we must be specially careful and watchful that we maintain and cultivate the grace which God has sown in us. Paul says, I have learned to be content, as much as to say he did not know how at one time. It cost him some pains to attain to the mystery of that great truth. No doubt, he sometimes thought he had learned, and then broke down. And when at last he had attained unto it, and could say, I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. He was an old, gray-headed man, upon the borders of the grave, a poor prisoner shut up in Nero's dungeon at Rome. We might well be willing to endure Paul's infirmities, and share the cold dungeon with him if we too might by any means attain unto his good degree. Do not indulge the notion that you can be contented without learning, or learn without discipline. It is not a power that may be exercised naturally, but a science to be acquired gradually. We know this from experience. Brother, Hush that murmur, natural though it be, and continue a diligent pupil in the College of Content. Evening, February 16th. The High Good Spirit. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 20. Common, too common, is the sin of forgetting the Holy Spirit. This is folly and ingratitude he deserves well at our hands for he is good supremely good as god he is good essentially he shares in the threefold ascription of holy 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 which ascends to the triune jehovah unmixed purity and truth and grace is he he is good benevolently, tenderly bearing with our waywardness, striving with our rebellious wills, quickening us from our death in sin, and then training us for the skies, as a loving nurse fosters her child. How generous, forgiving, and tender is this patient spirit of God! 
He is good operatively. All his works are good. In the most eminent degree, he suggests good thoughts, prompts good actions, reveals good truths, applies good promises, assists in good attainments, and leads to good results. There is no spiritual good in all the world of which he is not the author and sustainer. And heaven itself will owe the perfect character of its redeemed inhabitants to his work. He is good officially, whether as comforter, instructor, guide, sanctifier, quickener, or intercessor. He fulfills his office well, and each work is fraught with the highest good to the church of God. They who yield to his influences become good. They who obey his impulses do good. They who live under his power receive good. Let us then act towards so good a person according to the dictates of gratitude. Let us revere his person and adore him as God. Over all, blessed forever, let us own his power and our need of him by waiting upon him in all our holy enterprises. Let us hourly seek his aid and never grieve him. And let us speak to his praise whenever occasion occurs. The church will never prosper until more reverently it believes in the Holy Ghost. He is so good and kind that it is sad indeed that he should be grieved by slights and negligences. Morning, February 17th. Isaac dwelt by the well, Lehi Roe, Genesis chapter 25, verse 11. Hagar had once found deliverance there, and Ishmael had drank from the water so graciously revealed by the God who liveth and seeth the sons of men. But this was a merely casual visit, such as worldlings pay to the Lord in times of need, when it serves their turn. They cry to him in trouble, but forsake him in prosperity. Isaac dwelt there, and made the well of the living and all-seeing God his constant source of supply the usual tenor of a man's life the dwelling of his soul is the true test of his state perhaps the providential visitation experienced by hagar struck isaac's mind and led him to revere the place its mystical name endeared it to him his frequent musings by its brim at eventide made him familiar with the well. His meeting Rebecca there had made his spirit feel at home near the spot. But best of all, the fact that he there enjoyed fellowship with the living God had made him select that hallowed ground for his dwelling. Let us learn to live in the presence of 
of the living God. Let us pray the Holy Spirit that this day and every other day we may feel, Thou God seest me. May the Lord Jehovah be as a well to us, delightful, comforting, unfailing, springing up unto eternal life. The bottle of the creature cracks and dries up, but the well of the Creator never fails. Happy is he who dwells at the well, and so has abundant and constant supplies near at hand. The Lord has been a sure helper to others. His name is Shaddai, God all-sufficient. Our hearts have often had most delightful intercourse with him. Through him our soul has found her glorious husband, the Lord Jesus, and in him this day we live and move and have our being. Let us then dwell in closest fellowship with him. Glorious Lord, constrain us that we may never leave thee, but dwell by the well of the living God. Evening, February 17th, Whereas the Lord was there. Ezekiel chapter 35, verse 10. Edom's princes saw the whole country left desolate and counted upon its easy conquest. But there was one great difficulty in their way. Quite unknown to them, the Lord was there. And in his presence lay the special security of the chosen land. Whatever may be the machinations and devices of the enemies of God's people, there is still the same effectual barrier to thwart their design. The saints are God's heritage, and he is in the midst of them, and will protect his own. What comfort this assurance yields us in our troubles and spiritual conflicts. We are constantly opposed, yet perpetually preserved. How often Satan shoots his arrows against our faith, but our faith defies the power of hell's fiery darts. They are not only turned aside, but they are quenched upon its shield. For the Lord is there. Our good works are the subjects of Satan's attacks. A saint never yet had a virtue or a grace which was not the target of hellish bullets. Whether it was hope, bright and sparkling, or love, warm and fervent, or patience all-enduring, or zeal flaming like coals of fire, the old enemy of everything that is good has tried to destroy it. The only reason why anything virtuous or lovely survives in us is this, the Lord is there. If the Lord be with us through life, we need not fear for our dying confidence. For when we come to die, we shall find that the Lord is there. Where the billows are most temptuous and the water is most chill, we shall feel the bottom and know that it is good. Our feet shall stand upon the rock of ages. 
when time is passing away beloved from the first of a christian's life to the last the only reason why he does not perish is because the lord is there when the lord of everlasting love shall change and leave his elect to perish then may the church of god be destroyed but not till then because it is written jehovah shammah the lord is there morning february eighteenth showest me wherefore thou contendest with me job chapter ten verse two perhaps o tried soul the lord is doing this to develop thy graces there are some of thy graces which would never be discovered if it were not for thy trials dost thou not know that thy faith never looks so grand in summer weather as it does in winter love is too often like a glow-worm showing but little light except it be in the midst of surrounding darkness hope itself is like a star not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity and only to be discovered in the night of adversity afflictions are often the black foils in which god doth set the jewels of his children's graces to make them shine the better it was but a little while ago that on thy knees thou wast saying lord i fear i have no faith let me know that i have faith was not this really though perhaps unconsciously praying for trials for how canst thou know that thou hast faith until thy faith is exercised depend upon it god often sends us trials that our graces may be discovered and that we may be certified of their existence besides it is not merely discovery real growth in grace is the result of sanctified trials god often takes away our comforts and our privileges in order to make us better christians he trains his soldiers not in tents of ease and luxury but by turning them out and using them to forced marches and hard service he makes them ford through streams and swim through rivers and climb mountains and walk many a long mile with heavy knapsacks of sorrow on their backs well christian may not this account for the troubles through which thou art passing is not the lord bringing out your graces and making them grow is not this the reason why he is contending with you trials make the promise sweet trials give new life to prayer trials bring me to his feet lay me low and keep me there evening february eighteenth father i have sinned luke chapter fifteen verse eighteen it is quite certain that those whom christ has washed in his precious blood need not make a confession of sin 
as culprits or criminals before God the judge. For Christ has forever taken away all their sins in a legal sense, so that they no longer stand where they can be condemned, but are once for all accepted in the beloved. But having become children and offending as children, ought they not every day to go before their heavenly Father and confess their sin and acknowledge their iniquity in that character? Nature teaches that it is the duty of erring children to make a confession to their earthly father, and the grace of God in the heart teaches us that we, as Christians, owe the same duty to our heavenly father. We daily offend, and ought not to rest without daily pardon. For supposing that my trespasses against my father are not at once taken to him to be washed away by the cleansing power of the Lord Jesus, what will be the consequence? If I have not sought forgiveness and been washed from these offenses against my father, I shall feel at a distance from him. I shall doubt his love to me. I shall tremble at him. I shall be afraid to pray to him. I shall grow like the prodigal, who, although still a child, was yet far off from his father. But if, with a child's sorrow at offending so gracious and loving a parent, I go to him, and tell him all, and rest not till I realize that I am forgiven, then I shall feel a holy love to my father, and shall go through my Christian career, not only as saved, but as one enjoying present peace in God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. There is a wide distinction between confessing sin as a culprit and confessing sin as a child. The Father's bosom is the place for penitent confessions. We have been cleansed once for all, but our feet still need to be washed from the defilement of our daily walk as children of God. End of February 12th through 18th Recording by Simon Wainwright